several years before the historically ascribed birth date of Jesus, the Romans issued an announcement regarding their emperor of that time, one Caesar Augustus. And it read in part, Whereas Providence, which has regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving us Augustus, whom Providence filled with strength for the welfare of men, and who being sent to us and our own descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas, having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of the earlier times. To translate roughly, this document basically made Caesar Augustus a god in the Roman tradition. One god that can and should be worshipped. Now this would mean many things for the Romans, but most of all, it solved the nagging inconvenience of giving a Caesar unlimited power in a society that was supposed to be democratic. And it made sense, too. Julius Caesar certainly started something different in Rome, but it was under Caesar Augustus when the empire really grew and sweeping reforms began. He made them into a great nation, and they made him into a god. But what has always fascinated me about that is simply what happens when God dies. I mean, Caesar Augustus, along with his predecessors and successors, all passed from this life. There is no eternal living Roman walking the streets of Italy. What's the thought process here? Do gods die? Do they hibernate into heaven? Does their human nature eventually overtake their divine one? Does their divine nature decline the way we once saw someone like Michael Jordan rock rims and block shots and now see him puffy and sad all the time? The document that divinizes Caesar Augustus is high and haughty and written in the most elegant of Greek. But it is just that. It is a document. When Rome did not need Augustus anymore, his divinity no longer mattered. I mean, do you know any one single person who prays at night to Caesar Augustus? And when Augustus' body failed him, his divinity could not help. Now, if you read maybe 30% of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is a very convenient Messiah, a very convenient Son of God for us. He tells us that God loves us very much. He tells us that we should all love one another. He tells us that if you have faith in him, you will be welcome into heaven on the last day. All of those things are true. All of those things are good. Yet all of them do not summarize the ministry of Christ. Jesus is not just interested in being our Messiah. Jesus is interested in being our Lord. That's a more powerful title than a Caesar, a president, or a pope. 
Serving someone as Lord meant that you have to follow them to the ends of the earth. And for Jesus, that earth ended tonight in Golgotha. When our narrative of Jesus gets exhausted, we toss it aside as simply as we would the divine declaration of Augustus. Hey, I can follow Jesus if that means good things for me, but the cross, I'm, I'm good. I got nothing against the Romans. They're all good people. I don't want to die like that. And after all, isn't following Jesus supposed to be fun? Where's the fun? We get to do whatever we want. We get to stick our finger in the Pharisee's eye because they're always wrong. Why does that have to lead to death? Why do I, as a Christian, have to have consequences for my actions? We cannot focus on Jesus as Lord because that would mean quite simply to grapple with those consequences. The other 70% of scripture teaches us that Jesus calls us to a life of repentance, calls us to a daily dying to our sin and rising anew. And try as we might, we have never been ready for that. I mean, the apostles aren't even ready for that. They run at a moment's notice of trouble. Jesus' best friend would deny him three times. It is so easy to celebrate Jesus on Christmas. It is so hard to do so when we are walking the road to the place of the skull in our own lives. Tonight we deal with the bad and with the reality that we have failed our Lord. In our attempt to exalt him as a Messiah, we put him on a cross. And frankly, it's not an accident. This all didn't just happen because of a few, you know, random circumstances. It's human nature to want something until we either have it or we don't want it anymore. Now, it's not mentioned in Scripture, but I'd be willing to guess that tonight, while huddled together for fear of the Romans, the apostles were probably arguing about who was going to replace Jesus as their new leader. And for us, we'll turn off Jesus' message of nonviolence, anti-consumerism, anti-racism, and just general anti-hate probably as soon as we get home. We'll turn on the television and we'll applaud those who make naughty statements. We'll cross the road to avoid the homeless person. We'll continue to maintain our own personal superiority over someone by not forgiving them of their trespasses because we ourselves have never trespassed against anyone. We'll continue to tell ourselves that we do not have enough, despite the fact that our closets are full, and our DVRs are full, and our refrigerator is full, and our schedule is full. We just, you know, we need more. We'll put Messianic Jesus back on the shelf until we need him again. Maybe during Christmas, when we focus on little babies, they're very cute. You've heard my own tonight. We can all spread hope and cheer. We can make sure that we never utter the word Lord to describe Jesus except in prayer. It is sad to see God die, but I guess that's what happens sometimes. It happened to Caesar and to his successors. It happened to everyone else who claimed to be God. We don't want to deal with the pain of losing Jesus, so hey, 
after tonight, let's go out and get a replacement God. For tonight is all about tearing one God down in order to find another. And I can promise you that there is a new God waiting out there for us right now with a message that will make us feel much better. All we need is a hammer, some nails, and a cross. And maybe someone who can write a nice, elegant statement in Greek. Amen.